Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Welcome to Save the Cowboy. My name's Ty Weber. If, if I haven't met you, uh, I kind of take care of the, the ranching part of our of our ministry. We have a working ranch that we um, raise cattle on, and and it's kind of a twofold operation. First, we like to invite people out there to 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 cowboy with us and fellowship, uh, teach and learn, uh, keep the the old cowboy ways alive. And second of all, we use that the beef that we produce off there to to feed the needy, and uh, we're in the process of building a shop and putting the walk-in freezer in to be able to do more of that. So uh, if, you, if you're interested in any aspect of the ranch, uh, maybe don't approach me too close today, but we can talk from afar, and uh, I can give you some more information about that. Um, <coughs> pardon me. So uh, so I do a lot of, of uh, lessons and, and, and ride a lot of horses for people and, and you know, it, it's kind of the the common theme with with a lot of these horses is is that they're they're underutilized, and so they they kind of develop bad habits or or just become accustomed to to not really wanting to work. And so when I when I help people, we have we always have the talk about hey, if if you want this horse to get better, you got to ride it. And it's always interesting because I always hear, well, if you get it if you get it to where I can ride it, I promise I'll ride it every day. I'm like really? You're, you're going to ride it every day? Oh, I promise I'll ride it every day. And I always wonder about that because I know that's not true. Because I've made promises like that too before. And and uh, but we but we seem to but we seem to do that in order to uh, to to get people to to believe us. And, and uh, so I want to know how many people are going to make a New Year's resolution this year. Anybody going to do it? Wise people, right? Because all a New Year's resolution is is a lie to yourself, right? It's a promise you're never going to keep. <laughs> because we we used to do that. We'd say, "Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna read my Bible every single day." Well, I I might last three days before the fourth day I get busy and 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 it doesn't happen. Or you know, I'm gonna um, on this day I'm gonna start going to the gym. Well. The, the, these gyms make a fortune on memberships that are unused, aren't don't they? Because people buy a year membership and use it for a couple of weeks, and and then it falls by the wayside. So, so we're uh, we we've got to be careful when we make promises, and, and the Bible tells us to be really careful. And they call the promises are are called vows, and and <clears throat> you read back in the Old Testament, and a lot of vows were made. And, and I want to make a distinction here. It's not just a promise to someone. It's a promise to God. A, a vow is a, is a promise to God. And people used to make a lot of vows to God because they were gung-ho and they were, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And, and in, in a rash moment, uh, they'd say, oh, I vow to do this. Well, it's different to, to break a promise to a person than it is to break a promise to God because God holds people to that. <coughs> And in in Numbers thirty one verse thirty it said, or 
Numbers 30, verse 14. Then Moses summoned the leaders of the tribes of Israel and told them, This is what the Lord has commanded. A man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. So we have to be kind of careful when we, when we decide to, to make a promise to God. I know in a lot of, pardon me, a lot of times under, under duress, people make promises. God, if you do this for me, if, if you'll, if you'll do this, I promise that I'll do that. It's, it's not something we should do lightly because God expects us to hold up under that promise. And when we break that promise, which it's inevitable we're going to do, uh, now we've broken our, our bond with God. We've broken our relationship. Um, the, the consequences may not be quite as dire um, these days in, in Judges. There's a guy, and, and I'm not great with names in the Bible. I, I, it's Jephthah, I think, so I'm going to call him old Jep, because um, that's what Kevin recommended. Uh, you know, he's my leader in in, uh, in Bible study, and then he says, "Call him old Jep." I'm, I'm I'm good with that. So, but old Jep, he he uh, he became commander of the Israelite army, and and his his job was to defeat the Ammonites who were, were trying to encroach on their land. And so he, he, he had God on his side already. He was, he was a man of God and God was already on his side, but, but Jep decided he was going to really make a strong vow. And he said, God, if you'll help me defeat these Ammonites, I'm going to sacrifice the first thing I see when I get home. So God helps him and he defeats him and and, and what they wipe out, I think, like 46,000 Ammonites or something like that. And so Jeff's pretty happy, and he's skipping and jumping on the way home. As he nears his house, the door opens, and his daughter runs out. And she's dancing for joy because she gets to see her dad. Well, guess what? He had to keep his vow to God, and he had to sacrifice his only daughter. And so... Now, the Bible, it's a little unclear about whether, you know, because God doesn't accept human sacrifice, about whether uh, he actually had to give her as a burnt offering or, or whether um, she had to be a virgin and never get married the rest of her life. But his vow cost her, and, so, and God held him to it. And so to help us out, Jesus came along and... <coughs> And he addressed the, the uh, issue of making promises to God, of making vows to God. And in Matthew 5, verses 33, verse 33, he says, You have also heard that our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is a footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. So God doesn't, he isn't looking for big promises for the future from us. He just wants us to, to obey him today and to keep our word. If we have to... If we have to end a sentence with I promise, that means, does that mean that if I don't say I promise, that, I, that my word is no good, that I don't mean it? <clears throat> so we don't have to 
Jesus is warning us because he knows we're human and he knows how hard it is to keep a promise. And he knows that we're flawed and that we're sinners. And all he wants us to do is, is say what we're going to do and then do it. Um, and if we're not going to do it, just say no. If we don't intend on keeping a promise, don't make a promise. Okay, that's what a that's what a uh, that's what a New Year's resolution is. It's a promise that we really don't intend to keep. Our word should be enough. Uh, we shouldn't have to make a vow or an oath. Uh, now it's a little different when we you know like wedding vows and things like that. That's a lifelong vow, and that's something that we say under God too. And that's why marriage is such a sacred uh, thing. And in in our society today, people tend just to just throw away that vow like that. It run into a little rough patch and well, I forgot about my vow to God. Well that that's under him. So he expects us to to keep that and <coughs> to work through it. I've I've dealt with uh with the uh with addiction and things like that and I know a lot of people, they make their resolution or they, they resolve, well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to end this addiction, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit doing this thing that's, that, that's causing me to sin and keeping me from a relationship with God. The problem is the word I in there. The first thing I learned in, uh, in AA was that it's not I because I can't do it by myself. Well, you, uh, when, when you're trying to to end a, an addiction in your life that's hurting you or or something that's keeping you from God, the first thing you have to do is say, will you help me to him? Because because we have to recognize that there's a higher power, and that's our God, that's our Jesus Christ. And the second thing is we got to ask him for help if we want to if we want to change anything in our lives. We can't do it. We don't have the willpower on our own. I couldn't stop drinking on my own. I don't, didn't have that willpower. But I prayed to God that, that he would help me. And he took, he took a lot of that addiction away immediately. And, and there was enough there that I still had to work at it. It wasn't, it wasn't like it was just done. And I've had to work at it every day for almost 13 years. But, but with God's help, it's, it's, it's attainable. Um, so if, if we're going to make a vow, let's, let's, let's make a vow just to ask God for help every day. Just live every day. And, and try to to uh, say either yes I will or no I won't. No I won't take a drink today. That's all I got to do. I don't have to promise for the next twelve years. I just got to promise this morning. No, I'm not going to do that. And and I think <clears throat> if we can if we can get in the habit of saying our prayers and asking God for help, these things these resolutions that we're going to resolve to do these things that we want to change. You know I'm going to read the, my Bible every day. If we ask for help, it's attainable, and, and, and he'll help us do it. But, but that's the only way we're going to get through that. I'm going to pray. God, thank you so much for today and the, the gathering of your, your children. We love you, Lord, and thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who we, whose birth we celebrated. And just keep on celebrating his birth throughout the year. We don't, we don't have to just do it one day. Thank you for for your help in, in, uh, in my life. And, and I know your, the Spirit is upon us to help everybody in their lives. 
ask if, if they have if they're having trouble with something rather than make an oath they just they just take it day by day and trust in you lord and ask for your help and, and just say yes i will or no i won't as always i want to pray for all those involved in ministry especially kevin and his family that, that you would help guide and lead him so that he can help guide and lead us in jesus name we pray amen Oh, one one announcement. Uh, after the second service today, uh, we're having our annual, second annual, uh, Feed the Needy at, at our place. Kathy made three huge pots of spaghetti yesterday. So if anybody um, is alone today and, and, and wants a meal, you're welcome to come over to our house. I promise I wasn't anywhere near the food. I'll probably eat out on the back porch and... Uh, but you're welcome to come over. Just let us know so we, we have enough places. Yeah, we're all going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, um, after the service and before the Thai spaghetti dinner, we're all going to line up and let Robert give us some seven-way. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we, you've got to change needles out every time, Robert. <laughs> Welcome to Save the Cowboys. This is a sick pen for sinners, not a show ring for saints. It, it's cool to see everybody here this morning. We started doing these two services, gosh, has it been a year now? Yeah, it's been about a year, and, and it was actually an experiment. And now our our first service is bigger than our second one. The second service, it's like there's three people over here and two here and four over here, and it's really hard to uh, – this. I, I don't want to play favorites, but these are my people, you know. So uh, the ones that have been up doing chores already, and Ty's out there hacking up along watering cows this morning. And so uh, anyway – Welcome. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 8, we're going to be in Luke 8, and <clears throat> we're going to be in John 8. So uh, if you need help finding those, uh, look in your index. Uh, so uh, years ago, I had the opportunity to, uh, a guy I worked with had a daughter that lived in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm not going to say uh, you know, where we went in Medford, Oregon, uh, <laughs> at least not on the live broadcast. Cause there's people from there and I don't want them to think that I'm criticizing because I'm not, but anyway, he had a daughter that lived up there and he's like, Hey man, you ever been to the Pacific Northwest? I was like, no, I haven't. And he said, well, if you'll help me drive up there, I'll pay for everything. You just got to help me drive. I was like, yeah, that's cool. So I'd never, so, you know, what, what's crazy about driving from Lubbock, Texas, where I was residing at the time, and driving up to Oregon is that, you know, we went across to California and when we hit California, we were halfway there. Uh, California is a big old long state and man, we drove for, I think it was like 38 hours or something like that, just drove straight through. And so when we got up there, we had been there a couple of days and, and, uh, he had, this guy had two daughters and, um, we'd gone up there to see the one. And we were thinking about things to do and we were going to go to the Redwood Forest and everything. And one of the girls was like, well, why don't we go dancing? The, the girl that was from Lubbock, you know, where, where my friend lived. And her sister was like, yeah, there's a place right down here called Rockin' Rodeo. Well, I was like, well, yeah, cowboy from Texas, Rockin' Rodeo sounds all right. So I pick up the 
uh, I pick up the phone and I use this crazy thing called a phone book. I know a lot of y'all young people have never seen one, but there, there used to be this big book that had like categorical. And so I look in the back and I find the number for rock and rodeo and I call them and I was like, Hey, this guy answers. I was like, Hey, what kind of music y'all play? He said, where are you from? <laughs> and I said, I'm from Texas. He goes, you don't want to come tonight. He said, but come tomorrow night. Tomorrow's country and Western night. I was like, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right up my alley. So anyway, the, the girls all get gussied up and they look beautiful. And of course, you know, I put on a big black hat and starch jeans and, and, and we show up at rock and rodeo. And I walked in and I, and I immediately felt out of place because there's about 400 people in there and everybody was couples and they were all dressed in flamed shirts like Brooks and Dunn matching couples. Okay. You know, it's all right. I mean, I'm not much on, 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 you know, you know, guys and girls matching, but if that's your deal, no big deal. So they, they fire up some music and I'm like, all right, man, it's time to dance. And, and so I grabbed that, that girl's hand that I had gone up there with and, and, and we started, uh, er, I stopped because all these matching couples went out there and they all started line dancing. Well, I didn't, I, man, if it wasn't the Macarena, I had never seen a line dance before. And this was just a country song. And I mean, they're all like choreographed Madison Square Garden, you know, they're stomping their feet. And so I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll sit this one out. You know, let these people dance. That's cool. You know, you know. When in Rome, do as the Romans do or, 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 or sit out, you know? And so I sat back and kind of watched and they all did their choreographed line dancing and they came off and, you know, I was like, that's cool. So they fire up another song and boy, this one's a slow, like George Strait song. I'm like, oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking. So I grabbed that old girl by the hand and we start walking out there and everybody, all the matching couples went out there and they started slow dance, line dancing. <laughs> like what in the world? I mean, it was like a, a sensuous movements or something and not a, there's plenty of good looking girls in there. Not a one guy was a holding their hand or pulling them tight. And I'm like, what in the world is happening here? And so I was like, well, I'll sit this one out. So they fire up another good old two-step song and they get out there and they're line dancing again. I'm like, I've had it. So I grab her and we play obstacle course. So I'm dancing and twirling around and everybody's giving me the stink eye, you know, and stuff like that. Well, I don't, I don't know how to dance like them. And I went to dance. And so we, you know, we, we found a corner of the dance floor that they kind of let us have out of pity. You know, we just kind of danced in a circle, you know, in the corner and everything. And before, before too long, this guy and this gal in matching flamed shirts, brush poppers. That shows you how long ago it was. Some of you still wear them, I know. They come up to us and they're like, hey, would y'all dance with us? Well, yeah, sure. So they, they had never two-stepped or anything. And, and so the girl that I was with, she goes with the guy and I, and I, and I get the, the wife or the girlfriend or whoever it was. And we go out there and, and, and we dance and we come back and another couple comes up. All right, hey, can, can we, can we dance with y'all too? So we ended up dancing, you know, 
the the whole night with each other and and with with other people, but there towards the end, after everybody had had uh, how do I say this politely, uh, excised generous libations, <clears throat> there was there was some of those uh, fancy pants guys that didn't take too kindly to us coming in there and 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 messing up, you know their their deal. Because, you know, they're, they're all line dancers, and here we are, you know, two-stepping and waltzing and doing a little jitterbugging. And anyway, towards the end of the night, it kind of looked like there was going to be two or three problems. And one of them had the gall to walk up to me with a big old smile on his face. And he looked down at me. So he's a big guy. You know, I'm 6'4", 250, so this guy's big, right? And he looks down at me and he says, you don't belong here, cowboy. This ain't Texas. Probably be best if you left. Now, there's country music playing. There's cowboy hats. There's long sleeve button-down shirts. Maybe not the print that I would wear, but there's long sleeve button-down shirts. Pretty gals, two-stepping, and I felt like an outcast. Where I should have felt right at home, I felt like an outcast. Because I didn't dress right for them. I didn't dance right for them. I didn't line up in their lines and, 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 and do the same things as they did. Where I should have felt most at home, I felt like an outcast. Today we start a three-part series called The Outlaw Jesus Christ. And in the third part, I'm going to show you how Jesus was a wrestler. Next week, we're going to talk about how the outlaw Jesus Christ was a rebel. And today, we're going to talk about how the outlaw Jesus Christ was an outcast. Here is the son of the living God in the land handpicked by God over all of the earth to put his people on. Here's a miracle worker, healer, holy man, teacher. And yet, he was an outcast where he should have felt most at home. In Matthew chapter 8, if you turn to Matthew chapter 8, and if you ain't got your Bibles, that's fine. Go home and read it this evening. Matthew chapter 8, okay? Go home and read it. And in verses 1 through 4, what you'll see is Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And then 5 through 13 is a great story about how a Roman centurion or a Roman officer uh, asks Jesus to heal one of his servants, Great, great story, and Jesus heals him, and, and you, you should go read it. In 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 8, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And in 16 and 17 of Matthew chapter 8, Jesus drives out demons from everyone that was brought to him. I mean, think about this, man. He's healing people with leprosy, but, but he's not being picky and choosy. He's healing a Roman, the people that are occupying the promised land, God's land. He heals one of his servants. He heals his, his, his friend and disciple Peter's mother-in-law. He drives out demons. And then in Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, one of the teachers of the religious law said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. 
God's own son. There's nobody more religious than the, than the Jewish people, the Israelites, what were once Israelites, now known as the Jewish people through Abraham and the descendants are, are numerous as the sand on the shores and the stars in the sky. And here's the son of the living God has come down. And yet he himself says, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Why would Jesus say this? Because he was an outcast in his own home. But it wasn't just certain people that made him an outcast. It was everybody. There were unbelievers that made him an outcast. There was, a, there was another story in, in uh, Luke chapter 8 where Jesus goes uh, to this one area and he finds this guy that's living among the tombstones. Most of you have probably heard the story. And this guy is demon-possessed. They try to chain him up. He breaks the chains. He runs around naked and, I mean, just kind of terrorizes everybody. And, and Jesus goes and, and asks him what his name is. And the demons inside him say, our name is Legion, for we are many. And so Jesus heals him and, and, and makes all of these demons come out and he sends them into a herd of pigs. And, and all these pigs run off and, and throw themselves into the water. You've probably heard the story. But in Matthew, I mean, Luke chapter 8, verse 37 uh, when people saw what happened, they went and told everybody else what had happened and they came down and the ultimate end game to this miraculous feat of, of Jesus helping not only this one person, but this entire community where he was, uh, where this other guy was, was causing problems in Luke chapter eight, verse 37, it says, then all the people of the region asked Jesus to leave because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. He just did a great thing. He not only helped this one guy, but he helped this whole region. And what was the outcome? They went to him and asked him to leave. Unbelievers made Jesus an outcast. But it wasn't just unbelievers that made him an outcast. The religious people, the religious institution made Jesus an outcast too. And, and in John chapter 8, uh, Jesus is, is, is talking and, and, and these Pharisees and teachers of the law and scribes and, and all of these people that supposedly know everything are questioning him. And Jesus is talking about Abraham and he said, I've seen Abraham. I know Abraham. And the people said in verse, starting in verse 57, the people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth before Abraham was even born, I am. Well, that was God's name. I am all the way back to, to Moses. Moses said, how, how am I going to convince these people that, that, that you sent me? And he said, you tell them that I am sent you. It's God's name. And Jesus says here, I tell you the truth before Abraham was even born. I am at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and he left the temple. The very place that was built for him, for his father that sent him, he's driven out. He's an outcast. Unbelievers send him out. Religious people send him out. They try to stone him. They try to kill him. They ultimately get it done. Jesus was an outcast, but it wasn't just the unbelievers or the religious institution that made Jesus an outcast. Even his own people his own followers made him an outcast because in John chapter six, 
Jesus is talking about what will happen. And, and he's foreshadowing, he's making a prophecy about how he's going to be crucified and that it's his blood and his body that will uh, be, be shed for them. He will become the final sacrifice, a sacrifice that will last all time. And he said, unless you eat the body and drink the blood, right? Well, you know, we know the end of that story, okay? We know the end of that story and we know why we do it in remembrance of the blood that was shed, but that hasn't happened yet. And so people are looking at him like, like, like a cult. You know what I mean? They're like, you know, you walk up to a cult with a saddle and they get that wide-eyed look like, what are you, what are you doing? Well, that, that's what his followers start doing to him. And in John chapter 6, starting in verse 65, he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him, unless, unless they've been called, unless my father sends you to me. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I mean, e even the people that say they believed in him, that followed him, turned their back when it got too hard, made him an outcast. It wasn't just the unbelievers. It wasn't just the religious institution. It was his own followers that made Jesus an outcast. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like an outcast. I feel like an outcast. Because you see, I, I, I don't really, I don't fit in with, with the religious institution, okay? I mean, you know, here at Save the Cowboy, we do things different, not because we disagree with it. We just do stuff different. And, and, and I don't really fit in with the three-piece suits and the wingtip shoes and the and the liturgy or liturgy or however you say that, that L word, the, the readings and, and the opening up of the hymns. And I love the old hymns, don't get me wrong, but, but we don't do a lot of that here. And, and a lot of times I'm, I'm looked down because um, I, I started this ministry through the help of God. And, and because we don't do things like everybody else does it, I, I get criticized by, by the religious institution that somehow we're not real. We're not doing it right. But I don't fit in with the bar scene anymore either, with, with, with the drinking and the fighting. And, and, I, and I used to be in that, but I, 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 don't, I don't fit in in that group anymore. And nearly weekly, I'm confronted on all sides with how I'm doing stuff wrong. Happened yesterday. You know, well, you know, how dare you? Who do you think you are? And this is coming from religious people, but then I get it from the other side also from people that says, well, you know, you, you don't, I don't care what you say. You know, you don't have to go to church. I have faith in God. My church is the great outdoors. You know, my, my church is, is the mountains and the prairie. I mean, <laughs> I, I remember when I first started preaching, Red Steagall has, has a song called, I think it's called like Cowboy Church. And it says, my church is the great out of doors. My, my song is nature's friend and my sky is the cathedral or something, something, something. And it sounds good, but it's not the truth. It's not the truth. You know, I, I, I have people, well, you, you know, I, I just don't believe in organized religion. Well, you know, I mean, Good. Why, why are you telling me that? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I didn't ask you to come. I, I mean, I, I didn't go knock on your door. And, and even if I had, you've got free will. Why, why, why did you feel the need to seek me out 
and tell me that you have more faith than me, but you don't need to go to, to an organized religious service. I feel like an outcast sometimes, but I bet you do too. I bet you do too. Deep down, honestly, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Do you feel somewhat alone? Do you feel like you just don't quite fit in? You know, you, 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 you don't fit in because you, you haven't become a, a, a missionary and, and, and you don't stand up here and preach, but you also don't fit in with that same, that, that same crowd that, that uh, you know, does all this stuff. I mean, uh, a, a while, not, not a while back, just a few, really a few days ago, a few weeks ago, I was in Cabo and, and we're sitting at this pool and, and we meet these people from Kansas and, and they were nice people and, and we're sitting there visiting and uh, all of this stuff. But I finally had to just walk away because of, I, I, I'm not a prude by any means, but there's only so much of taking the Lord's name in vain that I can stand. And so instead of just berating somebody or something, I just chose to remove myself, even in, in what is close to probably paradise as there is on earth. I didn't even fit in there because I wasn't just toasted and, 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 and I didn't want to hear the Lord's name taken in vain. Now, now he wasn't you know, necessarily trying to blaspheme God. It was just part of his vocabulary. But my goodness... You know, there's only so much of that that I can, that I can take before it just, it, it really hurts my heart. Just don't feel like I fit in. Do you feel like you too don't fit in anywhere? Do you find yourself struggling to find your place in the world? Chances are, if you're trying to follow Jesus Christ, if you're trying to live for him, you too have felt this way. You are an outcast and you are not alone. See, Jesus chose outcasts to build his church, to start his church. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. He didn't go down to the seminary and take applications for disciples. He went and found these rough, tough guys that I'm sure had a vocabulary that was less conducive to following Christ than would be warranted. But yet he chose these people, these outcasts, these fishermen, they weren't big, rich merchants. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. I mean, there was nothing lower than a Jewish tax collector that took money from the Jews and gave it to the occupying Romans. And yet Jesus called one of them to be one of his disciples. He chose religious zealots, people that wanted to go to war and throw Rome out and kill a bunch of people. He chose them too. And later... Later on, he would even choose a killer named Saul to be one of his apostles, to take his message to the Gentiles, to those that were not born Jews, to the Greeks and to the, you know, all of the other people that, that make up this, you know, 99.9% .9 of the earth that aren't of Jewish heritage. This is how Jesus started his church with outcasts. See, the church isn't a place we go on Sunday. You know, I, I think the religious people have, have really forgotten that church isn't a place that we go to on Sunday. It's the people that make up. It's those that follow Jesus. 
The church is a people. It's not a place. It's not an event. So our, our, our church can't be the great out of doors because the great out of doors isn't a person. The church isn't a place we go on Sunday. The church is a group of people following the same man, living by the same code, and doing great things while telling others of the brand that we ride for. You are probably an outcast just like I do, like I am. You probably felt like you, you just don't fit in anywhere. You've got friends that, that, that don't follow God and you're trying to. And, and then you've got, you probably know some super religious people that say you have to line up in lines and everybody has to do it the same way if you're going to be a real Christian and you just don't feel like you fit in. But the church is in a place. The church is not an event. The church is what Jesus calls his outfit, his crew on earth not a place we go to on Sunday. It's who we are. We need to quit going to church and start being the church. And, the, and Jesus's church from the very beginning, starting with the man himself, has been made up of outcasts, of those that don't fit in. And it's not just me that says that. In John chapter 17, you feel like an outcast because you don't feel like you belong in this world, and it's because you don't. In John chapter 17, starting in verse 13, Jesus is praying. He's prayed for his disciples. He's prayed for all the unbelievers. He's he's praying in the garden, and, and he says, now I am coming to you, and he's talking to God. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. You know that feeling like you just don't fit in? That 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 feeling like like you just can't really find your place in this world? It doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. It means you're doing something right. Because no longer you don't fit in in this world. You know, some people think that, that following Jesus is just going to make your life easier. It's not, man. The, the, this world is a great big line dance and we've been called to do something more. We don't follow the, you know, the, in Romans, Paul says, do not be uh, uh, conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are an outcast, but that's not a bad thing. That means that you're a son or a daughter of the living God. Our place is not here. You're probably going to feel like that, but you're not alone. You are not alone and you're not doing anything wrong. It's a sign that you're doing it right. We do not belong in this world and we'll always feel like outcasts, but one day we will be reunited in heaven where we will no longer feel alone. We will stand in the presence of God and throw our arms around our Savior the one that we put all of our faith in to save us. And when we throw our arms around him, he's going to whisper in our ears, well done, cowboy, well done. I'm sorry. This may not be one of those uplifting sermons that, that you know, you just feel energized. You're going to be an outcast. You're not going to fit in. 
with the unbelievers. Chances are you're not even going to fit in with, with the uber-religious institution. And I'm not saying that, that, that they're doing anything, anything wrong. You just may not fit in with them. But Jesus was an outcast. So were his first disciples, his first apostles. So that feeling of aloneness that you don't fit in, it's not a sign that you're doing something wrong. It means that you're doing something right. But we are called not to criticize those that don't do things the way we do it, uh, of unbelievers that think that their church is the great out of doors. And uh, that's fine. Jesus gives them the, the free will to believe whatever they want. And, and if people feel closer to God by, by you know, lining up in lines and, and reading the same scriptures together and, and kneeling and standing, it, that, there's nothing wrong with that if it brings them closer to God. But if you don't feel like you fit in, it's okay. It's hard, but it's okay. All I could really remember was how bad my nose was itching, and there was nothing that I could do about it. I wondered that if I would get in trouble if I leaned forward and rubbed my nose on the cage that separated me from the officer that was saying, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. That's probably something you've never heard a preacher talking about. Why was I being arrested? You'll have to come back next week when we continue. The outlaw, Jesus Christ, rebel to find out. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for calling us to ride for your outfit. When we feel most alone is when we need to come to you, follow you, and trust in you. We are not of this world, but one day we will be reunited with you, and we look forward to and long for that day that you will hold us in your arms and tell us, well done, cowboy. Well done. Help us to show grace and mercy as outcasts, just as you did to those who cast us aside and ridicule us for writing for you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.